Okay, and we are on episode number 12 of the Authentic Discipleship Podcast. My name is Jonathan Checa, and I'm joined here by Mr. Sean Laborer. Sean, right. how are you doing today? I'm well. Uh, so my last name's actually pronounced Laborer. Fun fact. Wow, I yes. am incredibly embarrassed. No, don't be embarrassed at all. It's happened so often that I, I, I don't even think a teacher back in high school or college or elementary school, whatever, got it correctly. So that, that's fine. I can identify that struggle a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Cheka, Saika, Kleka. That was an interesting one. I heard Kleka once. So that was good. So Sean, uh, tell me a little bit about you. What was Sean's life growing up like? Um, growing up, I, I grew up uh, in St. Louis. Uh, I lived there for 20 years of my life. I grew up in church. Um, uh, I uh, I had uh, divorced parents. They divorced when I was about four years old, uh, remarried when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Um, but like I said, I grew up in church for most of my life and then uh, moved to Tennessee when I was 20 and uh, met my wife, and uh, we've lived here ever since. So Awesome. And tell me a little bit about you coming into a relationship with Jesus. What did that look like? So when I was um, when I was in well, probably about elementary school, like I, I had a conversation with my mom and uh, really, really inquiring about, you know, who Jesus was, what that meant to to be saved. Um, and she kind of opened the door uh, for that opportunity for me. And, and I got saved when I was really young, got baptized when I was like eight or nine. Um, but I really lived a life of a hypocristian, probably in middle school and high school and college and claimed to be a believer, was not living a life that was true to a believer. Um, and, uh, I was still involved in church. I was even, um, leading things in my youth group, um, while completely living in sin, um, living a double life. And, um, it took, uh, me becoming an adult, uh, becoming a mature believer, understanding what it meant to have true fruit in my faith. And, uh, really felt like, you know, early twenties was when I really started making it a point to say, like, this is who I am. I'm going to live this way. Like I, I am a Jesus follower authentically. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so today we are talking about the releasing stage of a discipleship relationship. And this is really the culmination of everything that we've been working towards in a discipleship relationship mm -hmm. is the ability to go out and to release them into the world. And there's usually, at least I've found two different dichotomies that uh, people go to the extremes on. One is that they're perfectly ready to go. Uh, there's nothing about them that should be holding them back, but they're still kind of nervous and hesitant uh, to go out and actually make disciples because they think they don't know enough or not ready yet. And then the other side is, man, I've been following Jesus for two days. I am ready to go out there and do some crusades. I'm <laughs> yes. going to get out there and make some disciples for We've Jesus. We've all been there. Right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we got to rein them back in a little bit. But um, this isn't just a concept that's exclusive to discipleship. I think we can learn a lot about this concept of releasing people when they're ready from just... Um, even uh, in the workforce or things like that. Um, so any experiences that you've had with uh, either yourself trying to go out and do something or someone else where they just jumped in way before they were ready or they were ready and just didn't want to go yet? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll share a personal experience there is I remember <clears throat> this was kind of in high school and in college where I, I kind of felt like I was making a jump into being authentic in my faith. And um, man, I was telling a lot of people about it. I, I felt like I was making life changes. Um, and, uh, a little time passed by of that, like fire kind of like dying off and realized that I was still surrounded by a very lost world. And I kind of came out of my haze of 
you know, surrounded by a lot of great things and realized that I was surrounded by very real and somewhat terrible things. And, and, uh, it kind of fell off very quickly because I just wasn't getting encouraged. I wasn't getting poured into. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I grew into an adult, it's kind of happened again where, you know, I kind of felt like, okay, this is, this is really me. This is, this is who I am. And then started actively being poured into by uh, a couple men and, and that really made me feel comfortable uh, to a place where I was like actually able to grow rather than just feeling like I was on this high, but I really, it wasn't very deep. You know, those roots were, were not rooted well in soil. It was very much rocks and, you know, nasty stuff. And so I, <clears throat> I didn't have anything when, when I was truly tested, but once I was getting poured into and that faith was actually growing into something real and I did have some roots that were rooted in good soil, then um, it did feel like I could actually make good connections with people and feel like I could get away from the people who were pouring into me as being released should look like. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that was really nice. And and even for me personally, as I've poured into other people, I've seen that growth as well. You know, it's really, really awesome. Um, when people that you're pouring into have that light bulb moment to where they feel like, Oh wait, I can do this now. This is awesome. You know, you've been walking with them for a really long time and it's really encouraging when you see them kind of have that once again, light bulb moment of saying like, this is my turn. Like I can do this. Like what you've been doing to me, I can, I can start pouring into other people. And it's also really cool coming alongside when, when they're actually doing those things as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And you hit on another interesting dichotomy in there where <laughs> we're releasing people to disciple independently. We want them to not always be dependent on us and what we're pouring into them, but they're not on their own. Sure. We don't just say, Hey, good luck, figure it out. Let me know when you've made a couple hundred disciples and then come back to me. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely important to have that support system there. Um, so uh, talk a little bit more about what that looked like for you. You said you had some men pouring into your lives, even as you were trying to go out and do this yourself. What did that look like? Well, I think it it's important to note that while you're actually like doing discipleship after you've been poured into yourself, like you need to have those resources that you can kind of go back and, you know, and talk to and ask questions to, because you're still growing, right? We're, we're, as long as there's breath in our lungs, we're still, we should still be growing. Should be. Should be. (laughs) (laughs) But with that being said, like those, those men that are, that were so pivotal and important in my life, I really needed them to be there when I had questions and I could go back and I could have those, you know, discussions for an hour and two and really get in the weeds of the faith, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ask questions that I could grow and then I could actually be enabled to, to maybe answer the tough questions that somebody else was asking me or addressing some hard issues, maybe in somebody's life, you know, if they're going through anxiety struggles or marital struggles, and I didn't know what the Bible said about those things, I could, I could turn to them because they'd been pouring into me on those same issues years and years ago. So, you know, when it came to that, it was nice to have them as a, as a sense of resource, almost an encyclopedia, if you will, not mm-hmm. as a replacement for the Bible, but just as a, as kind of like a supplement to where it's like, okay, cool. I, I have this Bible. I can read and I understand what the word says about what they're dealing with, but I also have another resource and I can have this guy that's been pouring into me that also knows the Bible and can help me kind of, um, navigate my way through that situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, we're not just given the Bible to figure out our faith. We are given it in a community sure. so that we can take those questions to people and figure them out together. And not just the people that are um, right next to us that we can have conversations with. There's a lot of dead people who have a lot of good things to say about yeah. that. A lot of really good commentaries out there, a lot of really good books and resources that we can use, that we can point other people to. So those resources still exist, even if we've been released ourselves or if we're releasing other people as well to do that. Sure. And it's, I'll say this too, like I, I also thought it was really encouraging when I was trying to, you know, do this discipleship thing on my own, 
I also found it encouraging because the guys that had been discipling me or pouring into me, like if I had questions about even the process, right? Even this, even this, even this idea of discipleship saying, okay, well, how do I, how do I do this better? How do I navigate this situation? Like, once again, I could have them as a resource cause they, they'd done it with me, you know, they've been leading other guys. Um, so I think it's, it's encouraging too when we have other brothers in the faith that can kind of encourage us as we're kind of walking other people through it. Um, and that's what this is all about anyway, right? We're united in the Holy Spirit, and that's what this does is saying like, okay, we're all united as one body. We're here to encourage one another as we're going out and spreading the gospel basically. Mm-hmm. So it's not rocket science, you know? <laughs> we tend to make it a little bit more difficult than it is. Yeah, it's simple, not easy. Yes, exactly. Uh, and something that you touched on a little bit there is kind of like the a gradual release where, um, again, we're not just kicking them out of the nest and saying, sure. okay, good luck. Um, so something they uh, talk about here in the workbook is a co-discipling relationship. And these look different from person to person. It's not necessarily like, okay, I've been discipling you for six months. Now you can go find someone who you can start discipling, and then we're going to start meeting with them together. That can work, yeah. but it doesn't always have to be like that. Um, again, any experiences where you've had where like, um, it's kind of the, um, oh gosh, what's it called? The um, I do, we do, you do model um, where I'm showing you how to do something. You're watching me do it. Now we're doing it together so that I can kind of watch you um, work through that in a controlled environment so that you can fail in a controlled environment. We can debrief it, learn from that. And now, okay, we've done this together for long enough. I think you can do it on your own. Sure. Any experiences with that? So I have a lot of experiences in that actually in the secular world. So before Mm -hmm. I actually worked in ministry, I actually was uh, a kitchen manager for a long time. I think I think it was really interesting because a lot of the ideas about discipleship that we think about, we we start to complicate them in our heads when we when we kind of make it this point of like, oh, well, how do I disciple people to know Jesus or grow in their relationship with Jesus? It's like thinking about that is a lot different than some of us have had experience with in management positions in our jobs. You know, we think about training people being a lot different than raising up disciples. It's it's the same thing, right? So when I was a manager, it was there was a lot of opportunities to. I remember somebody that was pouring into me as a manager that was saying, hey, listen, like your job is to always be looking for your replacement. Your job is to always be training your team to be able to to basically sustain themselves. Right. And so I would always have people come into that job and I'd have to raise them up. So in order to raise them up, you know, I'd have to work alongside them for a long time. And then I'd say, you know, this is this is an I do while you watch kind of thing like, hey, I'm going to show you how to do this. I need you to observe, be basically hands off for a little while. And then, you know, we'd eventually get to a point to where we're doing it together, right? I'm, I'm kind of like coaching them as they're doing it, but I'm also helping them along the way. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I'm trying to set them free to where they can just do it on their own while I watch because I have other areas that I need to manage as well. And in, in a way it relates in my ministry, you know, in Shelbyville, like there's a lot of volunteers that, that I have where, you know, maybe they've never volunteered at a church before and maybe they never even worked in children's ministry for that matter. And so there's a lot of like unknowns that they have, right? So mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of opportunities for me as a as a teacher, trainer, manager, whatever, where I have to say, okay, here I'm going to do this, or I'm going to put you in an environment where a lot of teachers know what they're doing, and then they're you just I just need you to observe, right? I just need you to watch them, understand how the environment works, and then there's a point where it's like, okay, now you guys are going to share the responsibility, right? Now you guys are going to do this together, and then there comes to a point where I'm like, hey, really, I need this other teacher. I need them to be somewhere else, but I'm going to let them kind of let you let you off comfortably they're not just going to like you know jump off and say all right good luck like see you later just like what you're saying but it it kind of comes to a point where they're like eventually encouraging them to say you're you're ready right you're you're ready to do this i'll watch you for a little while 
and then they move on. And that's how we're, you know, that's how we're able to help and train and empower. And that's the model, right? Absolutely. And uh, I think the word of the day uh, is dichotomy because I'm going to keep using that. But um, (laughs) even in that, like we do portion, there's kind of like a gradual ramp up of like, okay, you're still mostly watching me, but I'm starting to give you some responsibilities for it. Okay, now I'm giving you more responsibilities until you're basically doing on your own and I'm just kind of here to observe it. But it's really difficult sometimes, at least for me, maybe I'm projecting uh, to not just jump in the moment that something starts to go wrong and you're like, okay, I think I told you to do this this way, but you're starting to do it that way. What what point should I jump in and start saying, hey, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this versus, okay, I'm going to let you work through this on your own. Sure. What, what are some like, I don't know, guiding principles for that? I think for me, it's like, I mean, this is important for everything, right? This is parenting. This is, this is leading. This is teaching. This is managing, whatever. Like, it's important to let people fail. Like you mm-hmm. have, you have to let people kind of fall occasionally. Right. But I think when those failures or those falls will affect them long term, or they're going to affect even like even the ministry as a whole, like whatever it looks like, then, then that's the point where you got to really step in and, and correct some issues. But when it's not, <clears throat> when it's not going to affect anything long term, it's not going to, it's not going to be something that's detrimental to them. I think it's important to let people fail occasionally because we learn the most from our failures, right? We learn when we're struggling because when we're, when we're succeeding in something, you know, and and everything's going really well, like we may be learning a little bit, but I don't think we're going to learn as much as when we're actually like struggling, we're being kind of put through the ringer. Right. So I think it's important as somebody who's leading somebody and, and ready to release them. If you can watch them kind of from a distance and man, you might see something coming up in the distance where it's like, this person's probably going to falter a little bit. I think it's important to coach them through that, like get them ready for what's to come, almost like a roadblock, if you will, and say, hey, like I can see that this might be happening soon. Like this is how you can address this. But sometimes they take your advice and sometimes they don't, whether that's blatant disregard or whether it's just forgetfulness, like that's mm-hmm. okay. But but once again, being able to coach them through that, encourage them, but step back and say like they might fail. They might. And if they do, I'm not going to step in and rescue them. But once again, if that is detrimental, like if it's something that absolutely needs to be addressed, like you don't have the the option to kind of step away because then at that point they're taking such a negative uh, fall or repercussion from that that issue that they're going to be addressing that it, there's almost like no coming back from that or it's going to be a lot harder or you're undoing a lot of the work that you tried to do during this entire process, right? Mm-hmm. So then you're almost like redoing a lot of the work that you had. So anyway. Yeah, and we'd much rather someone struggle and fail when we can help them exactly. right there in that moment than when they go out and do that themselves. Sure, sure. And uh, you touched on something interesting there, the um, until it gets to, unless it would get to a point where it's just absolutely catastrophic. Yes. Um, I was listening to, I think it was something from Jocko Willink the other day he talks a lot about the minimum viable plan Mm -hmm. so he'll have uh someone who's going out on a mission or something like that put together a plan for that mission and briefing and it's probably not going to be the best plan that you've ever seen there's probably going to be things that you could tweak about it and be like hey maybe this maybe that but what he would basically do is as long as it meets the um minimum standards if it's Mm -hmm. in budget in time minimal uh except or the maximal acceptable risk and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. let them go out and do the plan even if there's things that you can tweak they're going to learn better from the fact that it was their plan and they um do these things that didn't work out quite as well as they thought they would that's going to stick with them better than hey actually no don't do that do this instead before it even happens there's something about um when you actually fail yourself that you're like Mm. man that didn't feel good i don't want to do that again Mm -hmm. absolutely i I totally agree i think i think it's also it's also easier to notate those things in your head as you're going because 
you know, as I'm even talking to you right now, you know, I'm making note of a lot of things in my own brain, you know, how you're responding, how you look, right? How, how I feel like the situation's going. Yeah. You're noticing my nervous sweat and all that. (laughs) No, I just, I, I, what I mean, what I mean is there's other things going on in the situation. If we're Mm -hmm. not paying attention to those things, we're not uh, identifying them in the moment, then we're, we're almost missing the mark. Right. So I think it's important when we, when we do have those, those opportunities, when we're discipling or we're leading others and we're, we're being released ourselves to, to have those unique and genuine connections. And then also like have the opportunity to identify our own faults in those moments. Because if we're told like how to address the situation before we, we even address it, we may not even notate all the things that our mentors telling us. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we're, if we're being released <clears throat> basically with a genuine synopsis or an outline of like how may, maybe even how to like meet somebody for coffee, right. Hey, like it's, it's probably good that you talk about these things and maybe don't talk about these things. And if we're told those things, sometimes we just, we just tend to be forgetful and we just move into those, those meetings with other people that we're trying to disciple and, and we just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's, then there's other, other times when we may go out there and, and try to have a game plan, but we just do it. Cause it's, it's just, you know, it's natural. And then we're identifying those things as we're talking to that person and saying that probably wasn't received super well. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from that. Or, you know what, maybe we'll come back to that later, you know, making those notes in your head as you're leading other people and understanding them as a person rather than just this checklist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's always an opportunity afterwards, like after a situation or a conversation goes down, Especially like if you're doing a co-discipling relationship where you're kind of letting the other person take the lead a little bit and then you start to notice some things. Hey, maybe you could have tweaked this, done this a little bit better. There's always an opportunity afterwards to go and ask some open-ended questions about, hey, how do you think that went? Or, um, hey, is there anything that you would have done differently? Not even that we're saying like, hey, you did this wrong. You should have done it this way. We're giving them the opportunity to work through it in their own minds of – okay, well, yeah, that took a little bit longer than maybe it should have. And I don't think I would have um, started talking about this stuff over here if I had known that it was going to lead to that. So in the future, and now, again, it's going to stick a lot better in their brains now that they're coming up with those answers mm. than us just telling them, hey, don't do that, do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. Um, I, Like I said, I, I think it's important to treat those situations naturally as well. I think I think we learn better from those things because we're understanding them as they come rather than preparing for them. And then when they don't happen, we're like, what happened? I had a game plan ready, right? I had I had questions to ask. I had I thought we were going to go this way with the conversation when it didn't actually go that way. And then before you know it, you're not actually listening to the person. You're 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 more worried about why your plan didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like if we don't go in naturally and understand, like we're all people, right? We're all like just 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 have that happen the organically, right? Rather than just having a game plan. It's like, it's important to learn from those things as you, as you learn to disciple other people, because you're like, oh, well, these things actually tend to work and these things tend to not work. Right. Yeah. And it is extremely difficult for me to get that through my thick aerospace skull sometimes where I'm just like, (laughs) okay, we start off the conversation. We do this. Okay. The conversation is at the halfway point. We do this. The conversation is closing. Now I do this. And there's again, a little bit of a dichotomy there of like, we have a plan and we talked about this more in the uh, content and rhythms episode. We want to have a structure. We want to have a plan, but we also want to be open-handed with it at the same time to be sensitive to the needs of that person. And just as God is going to move in that situation, God moves in preparation and in the moments as well. Mm. So it's tough, but we kind of have to balance those things. And again, bringing this back to 
the actual releasing of someone, it's kind of tough to know sometimes when someone is ready and when someone's not. There are a couple signs that we look for of, okay, you are um, at a particular maturity level. You are starting to handle some of these things on your own. You're not so much dependent on me. And we're making those things happen as much as we're observing them of, hey, I'm trying to wean you off of myself and more on to uh, reading your Bible regularly, being in prayer, um, getting what you're asking me from other resources building up that independence on yourself. Um, but what do you think some signs are that people are ready to be released? Like once you start to display these attributes, again, not going back to a checklist sure. model, but what does that look like? I think that's a great question <clears throat> and something that's really important to actually understand as you're discipling people, because if you don't understand those things and you're not identifying them as that relationship's kind of growing, you don't release people, right? Mm-hmm. You start to build this holy huddle around yourself and and you kind of you you kind of create this group of people who are, man, they're really, they're really strong member of, you know, like a a group of believers, but it's like, they're not going out and then that, you know, that pyramid isn't continuing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is important to understand that. So that's a great question. Uh, I would say for me, uh, I try to set practical goals for someone that I'm, I'm pouring into. And as long as that person's honest, listen, uh, a good discipleship relationship is absolutely like founded on trust and honesty. Like mm-hmm. you have to be honest because growth isn't going to come from either side unless you're being honest and open with one another, right? We have to be vulnerable with one another and open and, and like we can't be embarrassed when things don't go our way or when we're not holding ourselves accountable, like when we're not doing things that we should be doing. Like we have to be open so that way we can heal and we can grow. And so that, that that's the first step, right? So if we are being honest with one another, I try to create some really clear and concise objectives for that person to say, Hey, these are very measurable, right? So that way, as the, as the relationship kind of continues, I can kind of keep track of those in my head. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you brought up like reading your Bible or, or spending time in prayer or whatever, if, is that person growing in that? Right. And set measurable goals. You know, we should do that for ourselves anyway, but if you're setting that for the person that you're pouring into, you can understand that they're ready to be released at a certain point because when they're doing it on their own, when they're holding themselves accountable and they're actually growing in that, or maybe their time, you know, spent in the word is growing and they're, they're actually like hungering for more and they're, they're kind of searching rather than just being like this consumer in this discipleship relationship. That's a really telltale sign that this person is actually like, this person might be ready to start discipling somebody else, right? They're ready to be released. Also, like, I'll say this, like, I always gauge it by how the, maybe the meeting with that person went, whether it's a lunch or coffee or a hangout or whatever we're doing together, um, spending time at their house, it doesn't matter, but whatever, however that kind of meeting goes, I kind of gauge it by like how much time is spent, like what we're actually talking about. Are we digging into a lot of meat? That's maybe like still stuff that that person's hurting, you know, maybe they're really struggling with certain things. So they're not ready to pour into somebody else. Cause they're not really f- fixed some of those own, their own issues in themselves. Does that make sense? Like yeah. we're never totally fixed. We're never a hundred percent, but I think if we're dealing with something so uh, huge or strenuous in our lives, sometimes it's not easy for us to pour into somebody else. Cause we're still not healed ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. So and- I think, Once they've reached that certain point in their life where they're like, okay, yeah, like this person's got a lot of stuff together, right? They're, 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 they're doing well with actually like living a good life and being sustainable themselves and actually like digging into their faith and rooted well in scripture. Like they're moving in that positive direction and those meetings start to turn in like a, like a hangout and a check-in rather than like a, Hey, let's dive into these deep issues that maybe you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. That's a really good 
you know, green flag too, that that person's ready to be released as well. Yeah. And you mentioned going out for like coffees and lunches and that kind of stuff. I think a really important indicator of, as well of someone's spiritual maturity is not just uh, the conversations they're having with us as we're discipling them, but the conversations they're having with the waitress, with the barista, seeing 100%. how they're interacting with those other people, because it's not just about the one or two people that you're discipling sure. at that moment or your life group or anything like that. It's about everyone that you come across. So are you being kind to your waitress are you tipping well honestly that's a, I yeah. think a sign of spiritual maturity um again having conversations with the baristas hey how's your day going rather than just uh grande iced coffee walking right <laughs> off face so. right back in the phone <laughs> exactly yes just down the whole time <laughs> no i think that's a great point too because um i'll also kind of keep tabs on maybe somebody i'm pouring into uh by asking them questions not every single time we're hanging out but uh, every once in a while, I'm like, Hey, are you, are you reaching out to anybody? Like, have you, sh- have you shared your faith with any strangers today? Mm-hmm. You know, have you, have you talked to your friends who maybe don't know Jesus? Have you, have you opened those things yet? Like, have you talked to them? Have you opened those doors yet? Have you talked to them or though maybe still not brave enough to open those doors yet? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. understanding that we don't want to release somebody who's not ready to be released yet. Right. We We don't want to release somebody who's who might be released and then find those failures immediately once they start trying to disciple others and then get immediately discouraged, right? Because we're going to undo a lot of really great progress that they might've been making in that relationship. So I think that's super important, you know, keeping tabs on how they're treating people. Are they actually having those natural and organic conversations with other people? And are they willing and brave enough to do those things too, you know? Mm -hmm. And some, the other side of that, that I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about, uh, working towards measurable goals. You're like, okay, you're starting to display these things. The release is really the goal of the whole discipleship relationship. Um, And there are some really great uh, groups out there that have been meeting for a really long time. But the analogy that I kind of think of where uh, discipleship relationships just keep going well beyond what they really need to, for lack of a better term, uh, when everyone else is perfectly capable of going out and starting groups themselves or discipling other people themselves, but it's really comfortable to stay in that environment. We generally don't think of the 30-year-old who still lives in his mother's basement as a win. We yes. usually call that a failure to I was launch. literally going to bring that up too. I was thinking about that. And I was like, man, you know, now we live in a culture where these these grown people as adults, you know, 25, 30 something year olds that, you know, are still completely 100 percent, you know, uh, dependent upon their parents. They're still like so it's like we've moved away from this culture of like, oh, yeah, like it's my turn. Right. It's my turn. It's my opportunity. Or we have a 35 or, you know, 40 something year old living, you know, with their parents and they're just like they're not dependent upon. Uh, anything, right? They're 0% dependent on or sufficient on themselves and 100% mm-hmm. dependent on them, their, their parents. So I think, you know, it, that culture sometimes can drift into Christianity where it's like we start to think, oh, no, everybody needs to, 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 to be, you know, everybody needs to be in their, in their holy huddle, just like we talked about before. Everybody needs to just be huddled together and, and they don't need to go out, right? It's like, no, that's, that's literally the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't say, stay here. He said, go, <laughs> like, said, stay here and hang out with each other, right? Don't, don't go and tell anybody else about this. Like, no, literally the first word out of his mouth was go, like, go and make disciples. Like, mm-hmm. so if Jesus was telling his disciples that, like, we should be telling other people that as well. 
Yeah, the, the New Testament would have been a lot shorter if he just said, hey, y'all hang out, have a good time. Yes. And we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. End of the Gospels. All right, we peaked. That's it. I, th- uh, I, think it's, I think that's a great point, though, because we, I mean, it's it's something that's ingrained in our culture, right? It's something that's, and so I, I also, I don't know if this is true. I've heard this a few times, but like uh, goldfish is only as big as their environment, right? I guess it. We'll get someone to fact check that afterwards. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. So it's like they're, they're only going to grow as big as the bowl that they're in or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I think about that analogy um, and it does link well to, you know, discipling somebody, right? So um, we need to understand, like asking that person intentional questions to realize like what God's potential is for their life, right? To be mm-hmm. able to to encourage them, but also like speak wisdom into their life and say like, man, like you have so much opportunity, potential, all these things, like encouraging that person so that 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 they don't restrict themselves, right? They don't put themselves in a small bowl when they're man, you have so much opportunity. And that's true for all of us, right? But I think there's sometimes when we can restrict ourselves, but also when we're discipling somebody else, we can restrict them too, because maybe we're not ready to release them. Maybe we're not ready to for them to take that next step because we're comfortable ourselves. So I think it's important that we need to be encouraging people and in that, in that they need to encourage themselves, but also like really, really need to pour into them and be intentional about like, hey, like you have a lot of potential and opportunity here. Like I want you to see that. There's I see in you conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, and you hit on something really interesting there that sometimes it's more comfortable for the people, the person doing the discipling to keep them in that discipleship relationship yep. than it is to go and send them out. I know uh, Corey has talked about this a number of times where um, he had to start seeing it as a compliment that jo- people um, liked Brooker's preaching better than his because mm-hmm. um, what that that can lead to two different things. One is, well, what the heck? Why is, it, you know, you need to be dependent on me. Like this sure. is how I get my value and uh, where how I understand my identity. The other side of that is I've done such a good job of, um, and not just you, obviously, everyone around them and God working in and through them, but you played a part in them coming to the point that they're at now and seeing that as, hey, we've been doing really good work here. And that's um, really a compliment to yourself to go and send them out like, hey, they're ready to go now. Yeah. So uh, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes trying to remind us that people shouldn't be dependent on us. It's a win if they're less dependent on us. So I had a counselor in high school one time who said... Uh, his favorite day as a counselor is the last day that he ever sees me. Because mm. what that means is he's done his job of getting me ready to be independent and actually being able to manage uh, my emotions and my mental health on my own, that I'm not dependent on him anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, he phrased it in a way that was kind of harsh and funny. Of course. But th- the underlying principle is, hey, I want you to not need me anymore. Sure. Well, I mean, it also means like that all of the work that we've been putting in up until that point has been worth it, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually done something rather than just spinning our wheels in a in a thick puddle of mud, right? And just saying like for six months I've been pouring into this person and then you reach this point and that's, you know, it, it could be any amount of time. I'm just using that frame of time just as a, you know, mm-hmm. a reference. But, you know, say you're doing that for six months and you're like you see this person as ready to be released and then you have that conversation with them about maybe discipling others and, and they get to a point where they they revert and they you start to see that they're completely dependent upon you still. And it's like, what have we been doing? Right. Like, what <laughs> I, I've, I've been spending all this time with you and not and not that it's about the return. Right. Like we never we never invest in people because we expect this gigantic return. But we do it because we should be doing it mm-hmm. at the same time. Like it should also be leading somewhere. Right. Like once again, we can't just be spinning our wheels here. Like there has to be some sort of return to the progress that we're making. And because it's because we want to see that in them, right? We want to see them succeed and also discipling other people too. That's how the kingdom is advanced, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there are going to be times where it does feel like we're spinning our wheels in the mud. And kind of a qualification to what I said earlier, growth happens at the speed of growth. Yes. So it's going to take as long as it takes, and it's impossible to put a timeline on, okay, in six months, you are going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Th- life happens, um, situations come up, and we say, hey, actually, you're ready a little bit sooner than I thought you were. And we say, hey, actually, let's let's keep going for a little bit. Sure. So it's um, more about the actual attributes and the maturity that that person is displaying than it is about the time that we've spent with them. Because again, people are people. Everyone's different and individual. There are general commonalities. That's why we're talking about the path of spiritual growth, because it generally looks like this. But it's going to take as long as it takes, and it's going to look like um, whatever that person looked like. So it's, again, a dichotomy, word of the day. (laughs) Oh, it's true. And, And I think we have to be comfortable with that, right? We have to be okay with man, if this takes a long time, it's going to take a long time. If this takes a short amount of time, it takes a short amount of time. Like it takes however long that person's ready to be released. And when they are, they are. When they aren't, they aren't. And we just have to be okay with that as the person discipling them. Um, But when they are, once again, we have to be comfortable enough and confident enough in that person to say, hey, you're ready. Go out, be released. Like it's it's your time now. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, once again, just like you you said, like co-discipleship relationships, like being able to tell them like, Yes, it's your turn, but at the same time, like I'm still going to be here. I'm still encouraging you. I still want to meet with you. Maybe not as frequent, but I still want to be able to have this relationship with you to help you grow and encourage you and be able to to disciple others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's uh, probably a good note to wrap it up on. Um, so this has been quite a journey over these last 12 episodes talking about um, just what a discipleship relationship can and should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate Absolutely. it, Mr. Sean Lobberer. <laughs> that's it. <laughs>